Do you know what our primary mission as Beulah Missionary Church is? Have you caught it? We say that that we are in the business or our desire, our mission, our goal is to make yeah, disciples. Um, we like to say make big Christians, which is disciples. Thanks for cutting through the, the fog and getting right to the point. Um, why do you think we've worded that, that, that our desire is to form or make or develop big Christians? Why would we use that verbiage? B. Be. Be, because it goes with Beulah. Okay. Well, here's the thing. A lot of churches today And a lot of Christians today think the goal is to make big churches. The more people we can get here, the better we're doing. And that's that's fantastic. When, when, When a church is effective in reaching their community and the lost are being saved and growing their faith in Christ, praise God for that. But we want to make clear that that we see our mission, our goal, as making big Christians. If God sees fit to grow Beulah Missionary Church to some larger number, you know what, that's up to him. But we know for sure, we have confidence that God sees fit to call us to make disciples who will make disciples. And the reason we can say this with confidence is because Jesus told us so. You've probably heard of this thing in Matthew 28 called the Great Commission. Does it sound familiar that I'm being a little facetious here. Thank you for those who are grinning. I appreciate that. We're going to put it on the screen. And let's actually read it together off of the screen. This is the last thing that Jesus said in the book of Matthew to his disciples before he was um, you know, taken away, before he ascended to heaven. Let's read it together. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we can say with confidence that what God expects of Beulah Missionary Church is that we'll be making disciples, and we can say that with confidence because we just read it, right? Jesus said, go make disciples. Actually, the only imperative in, in that passage we read, the only command, the only you must do this, are those two words, make disciples, Everything else describes how we're making disciples. They're participles there. As you were going in the original language, you're, you're making disciples by, by teaching and by baptizing. This is all part of the process. The command is make disciples. So if the, uh, if the, the mission that, that Christ has given us and, and that we as a church have accepted is to make disciples, we should probably know what a disciple is, Yes. I don't know about you, but if someone says, let me make you a hamburger, and they give me a leaf of lettuce and a slice of tomato, I'm thinking, well, that's a good start, but you haven't made me a hamburger yet. So if we're going to make disciples, we should know what it is. So um, you're going to talk back to me. I think you know this about me by now. I appreciate dialogue. So uh, what is a disciple? Just let me hear some some ideas. What What is a disciple? A fisher of men. One who follows. That's it, huh? That's all we got? Just shout him out. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to call on you. A teacher? A witness? A leader? 
These are, these are all good things. And, and maybe there's a sense in which some of you aren't answering because um, you, you, you have a sense and awareness that describing what a disciple is is maybe like the old Indian proverb of blind men describing an elephant, right? Like, like you know, not that not the, not the, you'd be wrong, but the, you, know, you wouldn't be totally right because there's a lot of dynamics to what it is uh, how you would describe a disciple, what a disciple is. Well, uh, this, this deal of making disciples was important to Jesus, okay? We saw it. It's the last thing he said before he went into heaven, his uh, dying declaration, if you will, although clearly he, he had already defeated death. Um, but the last thing he told us to do was make disciples. And so it's important. And I don't know about you, but that challenges me. If discipleship is that important to Jesus, am I making disciples? Am I doing what needs to be done? The word here that Jesus uses in Matthew 20, 18. And by the way, we're going to Matthew 4. I'm just giving you time to find it since it's on the screen. The, uh, the word that Jesus uses here in Matthew 28 is, uh, it actually translates Betz as, as pupil or learner. And so we have kind of this sense that, that maybe a disciple is one who learns. And, and maybe that's the sole definition of a disciple. I don't, I don't know about that. Um, I, I think we see Paul writes in Galatians 4 that the, that the goal for each of us is that Christ would be formed in us. A disciple is one in whom Christ has been formed. But, but this whole business of discipleship is important to Jesus, so it ought to be important to us. Now, what's interesting is Jesus ends his, ministry, his earthly ministry talking about discipleship, right? Matthew 28. And, and interestingly enough, as Matthew tells the story of Jesus' ministry on earth, that's also where Jesus starts his earthly ministry, which takes us to Matthew 4. Hopefully you found that by now. Um, you know we prefer to read right out of the text. Um, so, uh, you know, if you don't have a Bible, there's, there should be one in a pew somewhere nearby. Um, grab it, Matthew 4. Let me just ask you a question. In your Bible, whatever version you have, do you have a heading in front of these verses starting at Matthew 4, 18? Like mine says, Jesus calls his first disciples. Do you have a heading like that? Same heading, different? Same? First disciples is the heading, okay. Yeah, so, uh, okay, we're, we're getting a hint here at what these verses are gonna be about, right? If you hadn't picked up on it yet. So uh, Jesus ends his ministry talking about discipleship, telling us to go and make disciples, and he starts his ministry with modeling uh, what that looks like. Matthew 4, 18 through 22, follow along as I read. I'll make a few comments as we go, starting in verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. Now what's interesting, we don't read about this in Matthew, but this probably wasn't the first time that Jesus had met Andrew and Peter. If you, if you were to, I'm not gonna do, don't do it right now, maybe do it for your devotions tomorrow. If you were to flip over to John 1, you'd see there's this whole encounter towards the end of John chapter 1 where Andrew, who's following, who's hanging out with a disciple of John the Baptist, uh, encounters Jesus and, and then comes to the realization that indeed, this Jesus is the one I should be following. And then Andrew gets Peter. And, and so what happens here in Matthew 4 probably happens a couple months after that. This isn't the first time 
that Peter and Andrew have had an encounter with Jesus. But this one marks the relationship in a whole new way. Um, Simon and his, and his and, uh, excuse me, Peter and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Well, well, that's an interesting detail. What's that all about? Well, I would suggest one thing that it tells us is that these were ordinary men. You see, they were, they were fishermen. In our terms, they were blue-collar workers. Uh, but they also were business owners. They, this, this was their family business. We'll see that in a minute as we continue to read. And so what they would do is they would go fish in the morning, and then they would turn around and they would sell their fish to the, the Roman soldiers who were in the area, to, uh, to other people who were doing other work. And of course, when you sell goods, you intend to sell them at a profit, right? So, um, but, but not a high profit. I mean, we're not, you know, these weren't the Bill Gates of their society. Um, they were blue collar workers who were doing what they could do to make a living and survive. They were ordinary people. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of an ordinary person using the gifts and abilities I have to, to make a living and be faithful and, and, uh, and, and just honor God in that. Verse 19, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of people. At once they left their nets and followed him. So maybe this is where the ordinariness, if we can say it like that, of of these two brothers stops. Because I don't know about you, but I haven't found it very ordinary for many people who were Christians or follower of Christ, followers of Christ to leave everything in pursuit of that relationship. But Peter and Andrew did. They, they dropped everything. They, they model for us what is a, a thread of truth from Genesis to Revelation, that when God asks you to do something, you do it now. Not when you figure out how it's all going to work. Not after you've analyzed it. Not after you've done your pro and con list. When the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, says, do this, you drop what you're doing and you obey. Matthew continues with his account in verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. So he is Jesus. Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. Now, here's some more details that Matthew introduces. Uh, We see that James and John are fishing with their father, whose name is Zebedee. Chances are that Peter and Andrew were also fishing with their father. He just wasn't introduced here. Do you remember who the, the father of Peter and Andrew was? Oh, a little Bible trivia moment here. That's okay. You don't have to. You can be a disciple of Jesus and not know that. Uh, There's this encounter between Jesus and Peter where Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the risen Christ. And Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah. Yeah, Simon, son of Jonah. Okay, so so Jonah was their father. He was probably fishing with them because fishermen tended to have a family business. So James and John, sons of Zebedee, Zebedee, were fishing. They were in a boat with their father, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. Matthew doesn't tell us, but what do you imagine Jesus said when he called these two brothers? Look back up at verse 19. I would suspect it was something like, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Does that make sense to you? 
Immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed Jesus. So Jesus sees Peter and Andrew, says, come follow me. And they leave everything. They leave their boats and their nets, it says. He walks a little bit further. He sees James and John. He says, come follow me. And they leave everything. They leave their father, Matthew emphasizes, and everything to follow Jesus. This gives us a a, a hint into what Jesus expects from those who will be his disciples. They're they're willing to leave everything, occupation, you know, the, their ability to make money, the most important relationships to pursue what's most important. What I love about this call that Jesus gives in Matthew 4, 19 is that I think it gives us some handles, some, some easy ways to understand what is a disciple of Jesus Christ. I, I think when Jesus calls to these two sets of brothers, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, he gives us like, like three three components of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What I'd like to do is take the next few minutes and work through those. And then after we've seen those three, I want to end by uh, inviting you, inviting us to ask some questions in regards to whether or not we are disciples of Jesus Christ. So the, the first mark of a disciple of Jesus, Jesus says, come follow me. I would suggest that uh, that, that gives us the, the notion, the hint, the direction that a disciple is someone who belongs to Jesus. A disciple is someone who belongs to Jesus. Okay, now Jesus uh, said, come. And do you notice the next word? What's the word that Jesus says after come in the English? Follow. So he modifies the verb with this preposition, follow. Now think of all the things Jesus could have said after come instead of follow. They were fishermen, right? Jesus could have said, come, give me a fish. He could have said, uh, come, be my friend. He could have said, come to my synagogue. He could have said, come, be my fan. I mean, any, any number of things here, Jesus could have said to them, and it would have been okay, come, learn about me. Come, let me teach you. But he didn't. Jesus said, come, follow me. Because Jesus is looking first and foremost for followers. Now, to some in the room, you shake your head knowingly and you understand it. Uh, Others of us, we hear followers and our mind goes to Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or any of the other social media sites out there. And and follow has kind of become uh, reprogrammed, redefined for us. I mean, for example, uh, I I was curious and so I looked. Uh, I have, like, I follow like a thousand people on all the different social media channels I'm on. A thousand people. And I've like, uh, again, if I combine them all, I have like 1,500 followers. But what does that mean? That's not the kind of follower Jesus is looking for. I mean, do we all kind of think about social media the same way? Maybe you don't, but I, at the end of a long day when I really don't want to engage with anything, I just kind of want to, you know, kill time until I'm ready to sleep. I take my phone and I just scroll through Facebook. You could kind of, I mean, I, I, this is literally my motion. Like, this is how I do it. Like, eh, nothing looked interesting there. 
Ooh, that looks good. And I click on that. That's how I treat, that's how I treat the people I follow. Oh, that's, that I don't care. I don't know. Too boring, too controversial, not controversial enough. That's not the kind of followers Jesus is looking for. Jesus is looking for the kind of follower who would say, you know what, Jesus said that, so I'm going to say that. Jesus did that, so I'm going to do that. Jesus had all kinds of social media followers. I mean, the gospels say that hundreds, sometimes thousands of people followed Jesus like this. As long as the, the food was appearing miraculously and as long as their friends and loved ones were being healed or demons cast out of them, as, as long as the teaching was entertaining enough or, or helping them learn something they feel like they didn't know before, the crowds were there. But when Jesus got to the meat of the message, things like, uh, if anyone would truly come after me, he must deny himself. She must take up her cross and then you can follow me. That's when the crowd started to split. They're like, we're out of here. Jesus is looking for followers, not who uh, do it when it's convenient or fun or easy, but who, did it, who do it all the time, who are willing to go where Jesus goes and do what he says. It's not about believing in Jesus. Oh, oh, some of you perked up at that. I intend to back that up scripturally. I think you know me well enough, so I'm not a shock jock. But Jesus' goal isn't mere belief. Jesus isn't interested in, in making converts. We saw this when we studied the book of James. Even the demons believe Jesus and shudder. They know who he is. They know he's the son of the living God. Jesus says it's not enough to believe who I am. I need people. I'm looking for people who will follow me, who who will allow me to take them where they cannot take themselves, who will allow me to do something for them that they can't do for themselves. And friends, I think this is where we so often miss the mark. We think that if we can get someone to church, if we can get them to the altar or to a point where they'll raise a head during a a salvation prayer, if we can get them into the baptism pool, then, then we've done what we've needed to do. We've created a disciple. And Jesus says, no. I'm not looking for people who, who just go to church and pray a prayer and, and, uh, and take a step of, of obedience and baptism. I'm looking for people who will follow me. Friends, Jesus isn't calling you to be just a Christian. He's calling you to be a follower, to be a disciple, to go where he goes, to do what he does, to say what he says he wants people who belong to him, who will say he is my leader. What he says, I do. So Jesus says, come, follow me. He's helping us understand that Jesus is looking first and foremost for people who belong to him, who will follow him where he goes. And and then he says, I will make you I will make you. And I think this is kind of the second part of of how we understand disciples. A disciple is someone who's becoming like Jesus. 
Now, I don't, I, your translation probably says something a little different because I, uh, I, I had to actually do some, some study here um, because I had memorized this verse differently than the new NIV says. I had memorized it. Probably many of you had to come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Yes? But the new NIV says, and I'm nothing wrong with the new NIV. I'm not bashing it. It says, come follow me and I will, I will send you out to fish for people, I think it says. Okay, that, nothing against the NIV and maybe some other translations say things like that. It's, it's what we call dynamic equivalence. Real quick for, for the, the theology and, and language geeks in the room. Um, dynamic equivalence is when you, um, you use words or phrases in the receptor language. That's English. That's a language you're translating into. Um, that generally, accurately but not necessarily fully describe what the original language says. The original language from Matthew is Koine Greek, common Greek. And uh, so this send you out to fish for people, and you know, that communicates to us in English, but what it doesn't do is catch the full range or depth of meaning. So the, the, the word that Matthew uses here when, when he records Jesus's words is, I will make you, or I will send you out, whatever your translation is. The, 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 the Greek word is the word poieo. I don't expect you to know what that means. We're going to put it up here. Um, poieo, it, it usually translates along the lines of to make, to change, or to give certain properties to something. So think of it like this. A woodworker takes a piece of wood and does this with it, does poieo with it, it uh, cuts it and, and sands it and, and, and maybe puts it on a lathe and, and does things to give it different properties, to make it into something different for a different purpose than it had before. Now, a woodworker obviously doesn't change it from wood to styrofoam, but do you get what I'm, it, it's, this, it's this craftsmanship, the sense of working with something so that it becomes something it wasn't before. As a matter of fact, this is the, on Ephesians, what is it, 2.10, I think. Um, Paul says, for you were God's handiwork, his craftsmanship, his masterpiece, created to do good works. It's, it's the, same, the same family, the same root word. So Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you. I will begin to form you. I'll begin to shape you. I'll take what you bring to me, and I'll begin to, uh, to round the rough edge, the sharp edges. I'll, uh, I'll begin to, uh, to form and to sand and, 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 and to create, to give new properties to who you are. I'll give you a different purpose than you had when you decided to follow me. I will make you. So when Jesus says to, to you, when he said to you, when he called you to salvation, come follow me and I will make you, he wasn't just saying, hey, I want you to go to church every Sunday. And I want you to do your best to live as a morally good person. Do the right things. Live by the Ten Commandments. If you want to really go far, carry a Bible with you. Jesus is saying, no, I, I want you to come follow me. Allow me to be your leader. Allow me to be your boss, your, your manager, your, uh, your Lord. And allow me to, to make you into something that you're not. 
Give me the permission to be constantly changing you, allowing uh, me to be formed in you, causing you to look more like me. Jesus said, come, follow me, because he's looking for people who belong to him. He said, and I will make you because he's looking for people who are willing to allow him to work in them so that they're becoming like him. And the final thing he says is, I will make you what? Fishers of men. Now he's not saying if you'll become uh, a Christian, then I'll send you fishing with Mark Esch every weekend. Okay, it's right. It's not about, we understand this is an analogy, right? Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of of men. Jesus is saying, I will, uh, I'll give you a new purpose. You're, you're going to be sent by me. A disciple is being sent by Jesus to do something that I want you to do, to do something that matters to me, Jesus would say. Now, I, don't, I, I would suspect that none of us would verbalize this. We may not even realize that we tend to think this, but I would suspect that a lot of us replace what Jesus says here with other things that we like more. So instead of us hearing Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, we, we might, and you know, in the, in the quietness of our own mind and hearts, we, we might think Jesus says something like, come follow me and, and I'll heal your hurts. I'll make you well again. Or come follow me and, and, um, and I'll answer all of your prayer requests. Or come follow me and, and I'll forgive you of all the wrong things you've ever done. Come follow me and I'll make you a good contributing citizen. Come follow me and I'll make you morally upright. Come follow me and, and I'll make sure you go to heaven when you die. Come follow me and, and I will teach you things about the Bible that you never knew. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. And some of that is the work that Christ does in us. But notice Jesus' call to discipleship, as we read it in Matthew 4, isn't about what Jesus could do for those who would follow him. It's not about what he would give them. It's about what he can do in them and then through them. Come follow me because I want to make you into someone that looks a whole lot like me. That's what Christ does in us. And then I want to send you out because I've got work to do through you. I want you to make disciples. I want you to fish for men, he says to fishermen. He might say to a woodworker, I, I, want, you to, I want you to craft disciples. I want, you to, I want you to develop, form, shape people like me. She says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll, I'll send you out. Uh, I'll have you partner with what I'm doing in this world. Jesus wants through you, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter whether you're retired or you work in a hospital or you work in a factory or, or uh, you do everything you can to avoid working, Jesus wants to use you where you're at to help others encounter him and follow him because there are people where you were at that will hear about Jesus no other way than through you. They'll see the Jesus life lived and no one else perhaps 
other than you, which is why Jesus has called you. Because there are people who are where you're at who need to hear about this Jesus who says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So we say that a disciple based on Matthew 4.19, what we read here, and, and again, perhaps not the whole definition, but it's what we have to work with. A disciple is one who belongs to Jesus, who's becoming like Jesus, and who's being sent by Jesus. And so as we round the corner here, let's ask some uh, questions about our own discipleship. Three questions I want to ask. I'm just going to encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as we ask these questions. First question I I would ask uh, is simply, have I come to the point where I've made Jesus my Savior? You see, all this that we're talking about today means nothing if you haven't come to the point in life where you would say, uh, you know what? I'm a sinner. I'm a screw-up. I, I, I just, I do, like, I need help. Until you come to the point where you realize that Jesus is God and that in Jesus is life and healing and wholeness and forgiveness and that the only way that you can ever be good enough for God is to accept what Jesus has done for you on the cross, that the only hope you ever have of not being a, a screw-up, we, we would say in theological terms, a sinner is to accept Jesus' death and resurrection for you. And until you've done that, until you've been born again or gotten saved or become a Christian, whatever language you want to use, the rest of this conversation means nothing. And so my first question for you today, whether it's your first time here or you've been sitting in the pews for years, have you come to the point where you've acknowledged that you're a sinner in need of saving that you can't be good enough, that you trying to be good enough for God is like trying to swim from here to Guinea, West Africa. You can't do it. The only way you can be good enough for God is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, maybe, maybe God is stirring in you. We would say the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Your heart's beating faster. Your palms are getting sweaty. You know, you're squirming. You know that that, that means you. I'm going to give you a chance when we close in a few minutes here, um, if you'd like to, to take a step towards salvation. But I got to tell you the rest of the story first. Jesus' goal isn't just to be your Savior, but to be your Lord. He wants to be in complete control. He wants to be your boss, your manager. He He wants to be the boss of you. It doesn't cut it for Jesus for you to say, I pray a prayer of salvation. Sure, I can go to heaven. Jesus says, no, I want to be your Lord. I want to be in complete control. And so again, whether you've been sitting in these pews for years or not, I would would ask you, Christian now, have you come to the point where you truly have made Jesus your Lord, where he's not just a resident in your life, but he's the president. He's in charge. What he says goes. The first question that we all have to consider as we think about whether or not we're disciples is, have I made Jesus my Savior and my Lord? And and the second question we need to ask is, am I different than I was? 
Am I different than you was? Now, I'll be the first to be honest. I hate this question because I don't know was when. Am I different than I was when? Well, I was, I was saved when I was five. I walked down the, the center aisle of a church sanctuary. I knelt at the altar. I prayed with the pastor. And, and while I've been far from perfect since then and, and wondered I have, I still know for sure that I became a Christian at five. So am I different than I was when I was five? Well, yeah. I mean, for one thing, like I got taller. <laughs> and then there was those years where I talked funny. Okay, but I mean, you... you Am I different than I was when? This is a question as Christians I think we sometimes struggle with. Because if you became a Christian 10 years ago, even if you really didn't do a whole lot to allow Jesus to continue making you, of course you're going to be different 11 years later. I mean, 11 years ago, you were a different person than you are now, right? The question is, not based on a time frame, it's just, am I different? Am I different than I was a year ago? Have I seen the work of the Holy Spirit in me? Have I changed from where I was a month ago? I mean, if, if, you, if you look back on your life a year ago and you say, yeah, I'm still just kind of struggling with the same stuff. You may want to ask yourself, are you really following Jesus? Because those who are being changed by him if I were to ask you to write down on your paper a, an action or a, an attitude or a thought process or a word or deed that, that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about in the last week in your life, would something come to mind? Would you be able to say, yes, the Holy Spirit continues to show me ways in which I need to become more like Jesus and, and ways I see him working in me so that I do have different attitudes and actions and behaviors? See, Jesus says, I, I, I want to I wanna make you different. And that doesn't stop. That doesn't mean I want to make you from a heathen into a Christian. It doesn't mean just that. I want to be constantly changing you and growing you. Am I different? The final question as we wrap up today. Am I doing what is most important to Jesus? Am I doing what is most important to Jesus you know, truth be told, for me, it's too easy to go from day to day and week to week thinking about the things that I have to do. Like, I have to write a sermon. I have a, I have a meeting. I've got to go visit that person. The car needs an oil change. Oh, the garage, man, I haven't even done spring cleaning from two years ago. Uh, um, you know, I've got a daughter going to college next year. I should probably spend some time with her. And then there's the other kids. And what about my wife? And, oh, man. Like, it's so easy for me to go day to day and week to week and month to month. And before I know it, year to year, just doing what needs to be done to live life. And not that there's anything wrong with any of that. But Jesus didn't say, come follow me and I'll make you a decent human being. Come follow me and I'll help you do what you need to do day to day. He said, come follow me and I'm going to send you out to do what's most important to me. I'm going to send you out to find people who need to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Truth be told for me, as a pastor of a church, I often step back and look and go, I've lost track of the most important thing. 
I became consumed this week, not with making disciples, but with, uh, with the three B's that church leaders wrestle with. You know what they are? Butts in the seats, bills in the plate, and buildings on the property. I lose sight of discipleship all the time. Jesus says, I want you to do what's most important to me. Are you doing that? So what we're going to do over the course of, the, of this series is we're going to look at each of these characteristics of a disciple. A disciple is one who belongs to Jesus, who's becoming like Jesus, who's being sent by Jesus. And, and my hope is not to discourage you. I mean, it's challenging. If the Holy Spirit speaks challenge to you, that's his business. I, you know, fine, I don't want to get in the way of that. But this being a disciple of Jesus isn't about some kind of relentless striving. It's not about I'm not good enough. But it's about am I in the relationship that I need to be? Following the one I need to follow, allowing him to do what he needs to do in me and through me. So we're going to look at each of these and maybe offer some practical help, some ideas, some ways that we can take a temperature and, and, uh, and, and, and maybe some changes we can make so that we are the kind of disciples and followers that Jesus looks for. But first, I'd like to pray with you. So I'm going to ask if everybody would, uh, can we bow together? And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. We, I don't always ask that, but today I am because I'd like to start out by asking if there is anyone here today who would say, you know, truth be told, Pastor Earl, I don't, I don't know that I really ever have crossed that line of salvation. I don't know that I ever have given my life to Jesus Christ. And so I'm just going to ask right now, while everyone's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if, if you sense that that was about you today and that was something God was saying to you, I just wonder, would you raise your head until we lock eyes? And you'd be saying, today's my day. I choose to follow Jesus today. Okay. Let's pray, friends. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, because as you've revealed yourself, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, willing that none should perish, so willing that none should perish, uh, that your plan was to call men and women to follow you. Not just, not just adult men and women, but teenagers, boys and girls. To allow Jesus Christ to be our leader. To allow him to make us what he wants us to be. To allow him to send us where he wants us to go to do what he wants us to do. Father, that's a, that's a beautiful plan, one we could have never dreamed up. And, and Father, one that, that, that we're lucky, we're privileged, we're honored to be part of. And so, Father, would you continue to work in me that I would be not just a Christian, not just someone who's, you know, uh, admitted that I'm a sinner in need of salvation, but someone who's following Jesus who's allowing him to do in me what he needs to do to make me into who he wants me to be. Would you help me to be a man who's following you, who's being sent by you, so that other people uh, can hear about this God who saves and makes disciples. Father, I pray that for my brothers and sisters here too. Would you continue to make us in the image of Jesus Christ? 
so that we can be sent out for the glory of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we close today in song, this truly is our desire. Would you have your way with us? Would you do what you need to do? And would you hear these words that we're going to sing as our, as our, our prayer of faith? Would you have your way regardless of what our way is? Call us what you, uh, say to us what you need to say to us so that we'll follow you. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.